Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, Episode 10, where we watch and listen and read too much about the Steelers so you don't have to. Nick, I'm trying to find a theme for this game or a title. All I can think of is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Two different halves. Two different halves. Uh, I guess I missed the the lead, which is Steelers 20, Colts 17. Yeah, I think that a bunch of Steelers fans... Steelers nation out there as a whole probably pretty outraged after yet another win by the Steelers because it was disgusting. So they had some reason to be outraged. Um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is right. The first half was brutal. The second half started horrible with the long touchdown, but the Steelers really came into their own in the second half and found a way to win the game. And as a result are still first place in the AFC, basically tied with the Patriots, but currently holding a, a slight advantage over them. So all things considered, another big win for the Steelers, albeit over a pretty crappy team. Well, I know a win is a win, and we shouldn't complain for style points, as they say. But if we didn't care about style points, we could just flip coins every week or have every both teams start from the 10 and have four plays. I mean, they play yeah. the game for a reason. Well, we're trying to also determine how good this team actually is. Even Mike Tomlin had a response a while ago to – So why the Steelers keep underperforming when they're favorites on the road or something, when they're these big favorites, the Steelers always seem to underperform. And he said, maybe you guys think that we're better than we actually are. And that's what we're trying to figure out. How good is this team exactly? And it seems like the team is following the exact blueprint that they've been following the entire season. Some of the, some of the issues that they've been plagued by this season kind of came back into the fray. And then we also had concerns about what happens when this team plays against a really good quarterback, wondering the whole year what's going to happen. Then they play Matt Stafford. It's brutal, but they somehow find a way to win the game. Um, And then this time you play uh, maybe an average quarterback. Uh, Brissett actually has made some nice plays this year, and, and he was able to do a few things. But the themes of the team remain the same. And while they made a bunch of progress in the prior three or four weeks, it looks like they kind of regressed a little bit after the bye. But luckily by the end of this game, they were able to kind of pull their stuff together. As we do on the Steelers Outpost podcast, we start out with the three themes of the game and we've classified the first one as a classic coach Tomlin letdown. As you pointed out, Favored by 10, which is the kiss of death in our opinion. But yep. the good, but the upside is we actually won this game. 
We are seven and fourteen as a favorite on the road, as I said, kiss of death, and mm-hmm. zero and three in the last three years on a post buy. I did a little analysis of the last ten years. Let me just pull this up. For the first six years since two thousand seven, the Steelers went six and zero, and then proceeded to climb down the mountain uh, yeah. with three consecutive losses. Uh, interestingly, you look at the attempts. Ben's passing attempts per game, and they climb precipitously from an average of about 25 to 59 uh, attempts two years ago when he completed 63% of his passes. It's smacked of desperation. Yeah, and I think that we you pointed that out last week, and we kind of went over that study, and, and it ended up um, that the Steelers looked like they were going to continue that trend of losing after the bye week, but they got it done, and Ben only threw about 31 attempts. So both of the trends were, were correct. He, he was under that 50-burger, so he's able to get it done. So we classified this thing as a classic Coach Tomlin letdown because, like all the other Steelers fans, we're sitting there during the game, and you're pulling your hair out, and you're just considering self-flagellation and wondering why does this always happen with this team. And you're looking on the field, and it's the players who are making the mistakes. And this is not entirely Coach Tomlin's fault, but we talk about, I mean, obviously it's the player's fault, but we talk about all the time, how do you grade the head coach? Um, Because you don't know how much of a handle he has in each facet of the game, whereas it's easier to pinpoint what an offensive coordinator does. It's like, what, what plays were called? Were they getting people open? Well, with Coach Tomlin, who, let's get this straight. First off, we're big Tomlin fans. Love Coach Tomlin. After Belichick, I think that, it's hard to argue anyone is even better than, than the Mike Tomlin. Yeah, there's Pete Carroll and Harbaugh and these other guys, but I think it's you know Belichick at the top, then Tomlin in this group of, is included in this group of guys beneath him. But that being said, the sample size is so enormous. They play poorly against teams that they should beat, particularly if they're on the road, and I think that just be, that's a culture thing. That's the culture of your team. In the same way that Bill Belichick has all his players trained not to say anything in the media in the same way that they approach every game the same way. It's a one-week season. Uh, Chris Sims from the Sims and Lefko podcast mentioned this one time about John Gruden. So Chris Sims was the quarterback for the Buccaneers for a while. John Gruden had a way of getting his team up for these huge games, sort of like Mike Tomlin does, these televised things, these ones where they're underdogs, and he can motivate them and inspire them, which, to the contrary, when they played against maybe not as talented teams or teams that were supposed to be like for the players. It's like, well, where's that motivation? It's not there anymore. So it sort of seems like that's the case. We do have to pin this on someone. There's other guys involved. There's other players that have been here, but coach Tomlin is the big main. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to him later. Coach T he's got to, he's got to shore that up. So that's the big, big first obvious theme of the game is the Steelers let down. Well, the outpost giveth and the, well, the outpost taketh and the outpost giveth. Theme number two, the Steelers found a way to win. And uh, as we pointed out previously, 7-14 record, we often did not find a way to win against lesser teams. So we would get down in the trenches, get down and dirty, and uh, never come back like we did in the second half of this game. Right, and that's the difference at the end of the season between getting your wild card or getting knocked out of the playoffs, which is something that happened to the Steelers in years before, or, you know, not getting a buy, and the difference between actually getting that buy or maybe even working towards that number one seed. I'm not saying that it's, you know, I'm just saying you can't drop any gimme games. 
because those are what put you behind the, the big players. And the Steelers have always done that in the past. They already have done dropped one gimme game with the Bears, but it looks like the Jaguars were a better team than everyone realized. So I really find this as a positive, and it goes with what we said last week of this team is more mature. This team is ready for a Super Bowl run. They just know how to win better than they used to. So that's a positive. They really pulled it together. So our theme three is the emergent players. And when we started the podcast, we were trying to identify that guy. Who's that guy? Who's sort of an understated guy, unnoticed, who is going to emerge this season? Um, Obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster is that guy. But let me just uh, make a suggestion. There are a couple of – there's actually a handful of guys who are emerging as next guy up or uh, as next guy up. And I would like to point out Vince Williams, for one. I mean, Vince Mm – I mean, everybody was so worried about losing Timmons. And Vince Williams, the guy tackles. He's in the backfield a lot. He fills the hole. Uh, I feel very comfortable with the inside linebackers, uh, it, excepting the first three games of the season when we were run over with reckless abandon. Right. Vince has really impressed me, improving his ability to tackle in the open field. He chased down a screen where he got where he shedded a blocker and tackled a guy on the screen. He's getting better. I mean, he's a great blitzer. I think he picked up yet another sack this game, which makes him the team leader in sacks. He's played great. Um, you know who the, the nucleus of the team is. It's obviously the Killer Bees, and I mean the three Killer Bees because Martavis kind of is not really at that status anymore. It's Killer Bees and Shazier and Hayward and, and you know those offensive line guys. But – we need that second tier of players. We need that Antoine Randall, that Larry Foote, Clark Hagans, whatever it may be, um, Ryan Clark, if you will, for a long time. You need that second tier of players to really start contributing. I thought that the wide receivers had a particularly great day. I think this was their best game, the non-ABs. I'm saying Juju and Marty. Um, Vance McDonald has really come along. The, his blocking has been spectacular. Obviously, we've talked a lot about Hilton, but I just like seeing the actual production and the numbers actually get there with Juju Martavis. We'll take you there in our wide receiver section. Also, a little shout-out to Sensabaugh, who came in and had a nice breakup and, and acquitted himself well, which is going to be necessary as Joe Hayden's going to be out going forward. So the next section of the outpost are the five pivotal plays. I don't think you could talk very long before you have to mention the two 60-yard bomb uh, touchdowns. Not good. Especially the second one where um, uh, the silver bullet, Mike Hilton and Mike Mitchell, had a collision. They seem to be pinching, uh, executing a pincer move, if you will, and Mm. uh, over-executed, blocked each other to play, allowing Mm. the touchdown to occur. The formula was off. The silver bullet and the the bronze boxcar. The, the bronze box car, Mike Mitchell. Yes, uh, they collided, and it was comedy capers. It was disgusting. The first one, Moncrief, of course, Artie Burns gets burned on yet another double move. I told you, you got to watch out for this guy. You think, okay, so Sensabaugh's coming in for the future games. Usually, when a backup cornerback comes into the game, the other teams, they are well aware of this. They have professionals looking at these types of things. They're called scouts. But you're going to attack that guy. They're not even going to attack Cody Sensabaugh any more than they'll attack Artie Burns because the guy just doesn't understand the concept of a double move. R- horrible, wide-open touchdown, really terrible. Um, those were those big plays that have plagued the Steelers earlier in the season, and they came back because this 
first half of the Colts game was a microcosm of everything bad about the first half of the Steelers season. Second half, they improved it. So those are plays one and two. Let's put number one, Moncrief's TD. Number two is uh, Rogers' touchdown with the comedy capers. Uh, Pivotal play number three, probably the play of the game, is the Shazier interception, where Doyle uh, lets the ball kind of squirt through his hands, and somehow Shazier is in mid-tackle, and he has the presence of mind to realize that the ball is falling right next to him, and he catches it right in the red zone. The Steelers are able to capitalize and turn the game around. That's definitely... Uh, number three for me. Pivotal play number four is Antonio Brown drawing the pass interference in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And we had a, you and I had a discussion about this during the game, whether that actually qualified as pass interference because, A, it looked like the usual shenanigans that always take place in one of those passing um, patterns. But, B, I'm not sure that ball was catchable. But yeah, maybe, it. maybe not. It was, hard, it was hard to tell because the, he would have – blocked AB's path to making a glorious highlight reel back shoulder catch. But either way, the refs did owe the Steelers. The refs did not. And the refs are not the reason for the game being that close, but they had some pretty, pretty brutal ticky-tack calls. We'll get into the fumble thing later. But that was such a crucial play because if he hadn't drawn the pass interference on that play, it's very unlikely that the Steelers would have scored and we would have had yet another week of red zone woes. But instead, it actually... Uh, actually turned out differently this week. Well, let me put it this way, and just to qualify, I judge these things on whether I can catch the ball. And basically Mm. that's... Well, that's probably not a good way to measure Antonio Brown's ability. Pivotal play number five. Marty! Marty! Back on the scene. Marty's best game. We'll go into that later. Uh, His third down conversion on the little drag route. He got 19 yards on it. Ben saw the blitz was coming. They were in the right coverage. And he just he gets the ball to Marty across the field, and he you just get to see how that guy is the fastest open field dude that the Steelers have, and possibly one of the fastest guys in the NFL. It's just he just glided his way there. And if they hadn't converted that third down, they probably would have had to punt. And who knows where this game would have gone after that? Obviously, the A B long one on the scramble play from Ben would be the obvious one to take, but. Even then, I, I don't think that was third down. You could have kept moving the ball. That third down conversion of Marty was crucial because they had sucked on third down all day. And not only did they convert it, they convert it big time. And Marty gets um, one of his uh, number of crucial catches during the game. So cr- pivotal play number five, Marty. 3D conversion, last drive. Parentheses, 19 yards. So from the anonymity of our podcast, we cast judgment on the Steelers by various positions. So, Nick, you know what time it is? I know what time it is. What time is it? It's time for offensive grades. So let's take a look at the offense. Two for four in the red zone. Satisfying? Yes. We scored two touchdowns. That's that's, uh, (laughs) better than usual. That's an upward tick for us. Remember what we said last week in our midseason breakdown of the Steelers? We said we're, we know that this isn't the 30 points per game offense, but they have room to improve. They don't need to start going 75% in the red zone, but they got to get closer to 45 and 50% in the red zone. That's what all we're asking for, guys. Okay? It doesn't hurt that Ben had two tutties, two nice floaters uh, to get those touchdown passes, but that's a great game for them. Two or four in the red zone, we'll take it. Yeah, and third down conversions, we were 5 for 13, and that that kind of, kind of came kind of late in the game. We were getting stalled a lot in the first half, and uh, that moment, we got up to 38% only because of the performance in the second half. So 
couple clutch I, plays there, especially on the last two drives. Yeah, so the, those are a couple of interesting telling stats. Again, the microcosm of everything bad from the first part of the season. How many times have we annoyed you guys by talking about the third down percentage? It was poop all first half of the season. It was poop and basically the entire game up until crunch time uh, against the Colts. So those are the first kind of pivotal statistics when it comes to the offense. Basically, the only good thing they did all game was the three-minute drill to win the game. And that's an exaggeration because they did move the ball up and down, but we do uh, good and bad, and that's the only thing I was motivated to put on the good section. Bad, um, very, predict- uh, very predictable. Ben was very anemic early. Now, it was the whole team because it doesn't help when your secondary is giving up 60-yard touchdowns, but particularly Ben. That throw to Marty was gross. Can't be doing starting the game out like that. It just looked lackadaisical. Also, something to look at going forward. This is going to be my slick, sly, sleuth-like point of the week, which you need to keep your eye on going forward. The counter-run game, which has been the Le'Veon Bell, David DeCastro Steelers staple for the past few years, dominated so many games using the counter. Everybody knows it's coming. They can't stop it until apparently now because people seem to have figured out that counter-run game. They are shooting the gaps with reckless abandon, and somehow they seem to be um, kind of picking up on what Le'Veon likes to do there and what we like to do there and identifying when it's coming. So the Steelers are going to need to figure out some wrinkles to that counter-run game going forward because it didn't work that great during this game. So we are going to give the offense a C. C. Moving on to quarterback, uh, speaking of whom, Ben, 19 for 31, uh, serviceable, 236 yards with two touchdowns, one gross interception, and several errant long passes, 61%, uh, 7.6 yard average. Ben, I think the I think the training regimen has... has uh, is in evidence as his Jeez, sort of lackadaisical play and the fact he looks like he's waiting through jello on each play. So the scary thing about the bye week, I wasn't as worried about the rest of the team because they're professional athletes, but despite Ben Roethlisberger being a living legend and just, he's just a John Wayne son of a gun. All right. But he's not really much of a professional athlete uh, from the, from really besides his arm. I was terrified of Ben during the bye week because you know he's at home freaking playing with kids and eating cheese doodles and watching Star Trek or whatever the hell. Think about fishing, going shopping for fishing lures, and basically doing everything except for exercising, which Ben thinks the elliptical is exercising. And I say, Ben, you're like, you're, you're a Super Bowl winning quarterback. The elliptical is not exercise for you, my friend. But regardless, I will counter what you said about the deep balls. I think the the throw to Marty was kind of gross, but the rest of his throws, he actually had a decent decent job throwing deep. AB had the had the off day as far as that goes, but we'll get there. Okay, listen. Ben is the theme of the season, right? It's been his up and down performance. He doesn't look like he has physical deterioration as far as throwing the ball, but he's kind of what's holding the team back. We are huge Ben fans. We think that he has uh, room to grow, and he will get better over the course of the season. But listen, he was 7-15 of 15 in the first half with the pick. Second half, he stepped it up. 12-16, 164, two touchdown passes, both of them in the red zone, and also won the game in vintage Ben fashion, getting his 40th all-time comeback 
in the fourth quarter or overtime and uh, also making a vintage play while he was doing it. So as I ramble on here, because the Ben section is the longest section of every podcast because he's the quarterback, it's the most important, and we want to talk about Ben. All right, we want to tell you like it is because there's a lot of chatter going on out there, and I don't appreciate a ton of it, but a lot of it's true. The thing I finally noticed about him this game, this is where I really – last week I talked about how his like his mobility, obviously it's compromised, but it's really like he's not even trying to do it anymore. That's one of – that's part of the mystery being unpacked for me. His pocket movement isn't where it was. The big thing I saw this game, and I think it had something to do with The Bachelor or Cheese Doodles, he is flinching. This game he looked legitimately scared to get hit, sort of like how he did against the Browns. When he first came out, sometimes a QB needs to get a couple hits to kind of realize, like, oh, oh, oh I'm okay. Okay, I'm, I'm bigger than everybody else here, actually. I'm totally fine. But he looks a little bit scared to get hit. I hate to say it. Um, when I saw them play live against the Bengals, I was so impressed about how he stood in there for the first time all year and got destroyed a few times but was making these throws. And that was said to me, okay, he's settled in. And he played a, a good couple games. But... Uh, he's throwing a little bit early against the Colts. I saw him physically flinch a couple times and trying to try to protect himself, and this affects his throwing motion. He short arms it. He almost overthrew that pass to Vance in the end zone because there was a guy coming at him, even though he's like five feet away. He even talked about it in the in the post game. He was scared that he missed him because a guy was about to hit him. I'm like, dude, that's the Ben Roethlisberger out of anybody should know that's the point of playing quarterback. You you take that hit, but. That's all I'll say about it um, as far as the bad stuff. I will say he was very accurate um, or sort of accurate deep. Great deep pass to Juju. Great deep pass to A.B. that A.B. dropped. And then I think another decent pass to A.B. that he didn't want to catch. The Marty one was the bad one. And uh, he improved in the second half, obviously. But Well, I'd but like to just point out that with- last drive, he did uh- – he did evade a. He hung in there for what was going to be mm-hmm. a potential sack. It yep. looked like he was in the middle of a Walking Dead movie. His hands were starting to cling to the top of his jersey, and he stood in there like George Washington on the bow of the ship crossing the Delaware River to attack the British on Christmas Eve. And he delivered like George Washington did. So let's end the quarterback rating on a good note. Yes, we're going to end it right before we give you the grade. I want to give you some uh, a couple quick statistics. 61 completion percent. That's basically where he's been at all year. Um, interesting stat. Last three years on the deep ball, 45% pretty much every year. This year, 33%, three tutties, seven interceptions. I think that deep ball is going to come on. Uh, it's not going to be 45%, but I think he can get up to that 38 or something like that, because I saw some accurate passes. We're going to give Ben, all things considered, come on, man, the team goes as you go. This isn't all Tomlin. You've been there the whole time as well. Ben gets a grade of C. So we move on to uh, Le'Veon Bell, who had for him what was a subpar game. Uh, We've had two of these in the last three games, haven't we? 26 carries for 80 yards, an average of 3.1. He had five receptions for 32 yards for a total of 112 yards. How many uh, straight games over 100 is that for him? I did not get that information. Infinity. I don't know. Quite a bit. Well, maybe against, you can There was uh, one time against the Ravens where he didn't get it. But do a little commentary while I take a look here. This is the first game that I really want to say Le'Veon actually did not play well. The Browns was a little bit questionable, but... 
I've been saying all year, the blocking isn't quite what it was last year in terms of the run game, and he's getting yards where other people would not get them. But this game, there was a, a, a notable lack of burst from him on some sideline opportunities. There were four, maybe even five, where he had one-on-one on the perimeter and he just couldn't run past the guy or he couldn't break the tackle, and these are things you expect from Le'Veon Bell. We all know that his long speed, um, his outside speed isn't great. His agility and his power are, are really his strengths. Um, and I'll take it every single day of the week, Le'Veon's the man, but I really noticed a lack of burst. I think he had a pretty poor game. I, I expect him to bounce back next week. One thing I do want to note, James Conner and his 10-yard rushing average or whatever the hell it is, he had his one carry, it was about nine yards or something like that, and they ran the counter play. And he ran it totally different than Le'Veon Bell. He just kind of sprints to the outside. And I'm not saying that's a better way to run it, but I think it was a very effective change of pace because these coaches are preparing their teams to play Le'Veon Bell. And when you have that guy pulling, that David DeCastro pulling, Le'Veon waits. He waits behind him. I think that the linebackers get impatient and they shoot at him or, or, or whatever, they won't get the proper angle, and it allows Le'Veon to set those guys up. So I think the coaches are teaching them, hey, when you see that guy pulling, you shoot underneath of him, and you grab him in there. And so when James Conner came in, I think they shot inside, and they were surprised to see the guy just run around him. So that's a cool little change of pace. Hopefully Le'Veon can add that little move to his arsenal every once in a while to, to complement his already very effective Running style. So we graded Le'Veon on a on a, a curve, but it's just curved against his previous performances. Le'Veon gets a C minus. C minus indeed. Moving on to the man, the myth, the legend, Antonio Brown. A B. Almost the same scouting report for him. One of his worst days at the office uh, after torching this team three years in a row and haunting their nightmares forever. Just. I don't know if he has, what does he have, two, four, seven touchdowns against them in the last three games? It was bound to come to a close at some point. Three reception, 47 yards on seven targets, a horrible drop on a deep ball, and then another deep ball that I don't know if it was catchable, but it looked like he was a little bit afraid to get hit as well. These guys seem a little gun-shy after the bye. So not that great. Uh, He also had that pass interference called on him, but that was crap. He did, however, have a vintage Antonio Brown moment with that basically the game-winning play. So you can't, you can't keep a good man down for too long. But I don't have a lot to say. This was subpar from Antonio. A.B. gets a grade for this week of C-. minus. But A.B. is so good, we do give him a separate grade. And we'll go into the wide receiver grade, which uh, uh, we between Juju and Marty, uh, we rated quite highly. So Juju had... 146 yards on nine receptions, or does that include No, that's those guys? the total. Yeah, I should have split them up, but uh, oh, Juju's below there. Oh. Juju had five for 97 and a touchdown, which is his third game in a row with a touchdown. We talked about this during our bye week segments. Juju needs to officially become that number two guy, and he has been just that for the past few weeks. This is very encouraging. On top of it, Marty had a couple big plays. You know that that two-point conversion he had is basically touchdown territory. So that's what we're looking for him. Touchdowns, some conversions. He had some great jobs on some screens. And I just think that they're catching a wider variety of routes. 
They're not, they, they call it go route, they call it out route, they call it cross, seam, screen, a lot of different things. They got over 100 yards, which those wide receivers cumulatively haven't really done this whole year. And that's what you need to complement AB. And the touchdown is great, too. Um, nine receptions on 13 targets, that's a good rate. Marty needs to fight for that ball on that interception on that first play. Uh, not a great throw, but he does need to fight for it. But they stepped it up. Very but encouraging. I'd say, uh, I would I'd give uh, Marty kudos for catching that two-point conversion because it might not have been quite a fight, but there were four hands on that ball that he ripped in. Yeah, and he's, he's had a few of those this year, so it's been kind of weird not to see him to see him grow like we thought he would. But he had a great game. Juju obviously is becoming the man in Pittsburgh. So we're going to give the wide receivers, not named A.B., a grade of A. <laughs> Moving on to the offensive line, uh, maybe as you pointed out, as Le'Veon goes, so is the uh, the offensive line. They blocked for, uh, we had 88 yards of rushing, which is a 2.9 paltry average. Ooh. Ben was sacked for the first time in three games this game. Pretty and good. I did not see the surge that I have in the previous games. They, they seem to get pushed around a little more than usual. Yes, they definitely did by an underwhelming defensive line Jabal Shear tore them up and they just uh, again they looked flat they didn't get enough of a push they had a, a a very subpar game by their standards it was great to see them keep Ben upright uh, the Colts were only rushing three a lot of the game but hey it you if a rushing three then give the guy time and that's what they did so they didn't do that great you don't average three three yards you know if you don't even get the three yards that's not good, gentlemen. He had 26 carries. At some point, this should have gone down. I know that he didn't have his best day running. But we're going to give them a grade of C. So we have two tight ends who seem to be emerging over the last few games and, and uh, upping their performance. Uh, two receptions for 16 yards. Not, uh, on, not the greatest statistics on paper, but one touchdown reception. And an amazing reprise of the Tight end running 90 <laughs> yards down the field. Jesse, the outlaw, the giraffe, James, ran down a speedy little, what was he? Spider monkey. Defensive back. And saved a two-point two conversion. Pretty insano. Captain insano. To see that twice in one year? Both times by a lanky white guy, tight end, who's just sort of middle-of-the-road type of dude, but just as far along the road as you can get with effort. Uh, since they didn't score, I'm going to say that was so cool because also they didn't have to worry about defending on the, on the one or two yard line, but what a weird thing to happen twice in one year, huge play by Jesse James. He had forecasted it. He had predicted it like some sort of outlaw. Spengali. Nostradamus. No doubt about that. Keep him coming. Keep him coming. I think that's, I'm drained. Madam. Pretty sweet. Yeah, he had talked about that. You always want to have one of those plays or whatever when, after um, Vance had his. And crazy, he, he made it happen. So, yeah, they didn't show up big on the stat sheet. It was cool to see Vance get his first touchdown. And I thought the X-Man had some better blocking uh, performances within that game. Uh, he, he knocked some dudes down, which is good because he's a big jacked guy. You'd like to see that. I want to just ask you something. Did you just accuse Jesse of letting that guy in to block that extra point just to give himself the opportunity to run 90 yards down the field to tackle him? I didn't even get close to saying that, but I could see that was something that was on your mind, and we might have a conspiracy on our hands here. 
So we gave the tight ends a B plus. Yeah, good job, guys. Just for that awesome effort. Which Moving on. Which brings us to the head coach. Coaches. Yep. Which you've already Tomlin. sort of somewhat eviscerated at the top of the show. Mike Tomlin's the man. He's made a team that knows how to win. Yeah, and, but we're not, we're not going to rest on his prior laurels. I do think that was a big detail that they found a way to come back and win in the fourth quarter of a game in which they never had any momentum. So I got to give him some credit for that. But, dude, that, that Colts team is not good. They're not talented. They're not well coached. They don't have anything. You need to crush that team. Tomlin, it's no longer surprising when the team plays like this. It's a culture. And there have been other guys who've been there too. You know, Benny's been there the whole time. He's not totally out of fault. AB's been there. AB didn't have a good game. But this is your team. This is your culture that you make. Tomlin gets a grade of D. So moving on to the offensive head coach, Todd Haley. The anger man. He's back. Yeah, that was disturbing. That was disturbing. The two-point play. The, the play that was installed apparently 12 minutes before game time that confused everybody, resulting in a... First, a wasted timeout and a delay of game, which I think actually served their purposes and gave the Steelers a little more room. However, it was think the lack of communication sort of makes you wonder, this is your full-time job. You have, that little <laughs> pat, you have that little piece of paper on your wrist and a microphone in your helmet. What's going on there? Tell them where to stand, right? No, I think that the Steelers need to seriously consider pass only if this if we're on the 10-yard line and i know that's ridiculous and, and there's no such thing as a 100 percent strategy P- that'll get on tape people will know you're going to pass every single time you're on the 10-yard line but maybe something like that to get some rhythm going because we've talked about all year how the steelers need a red zone identity they need to figure out what they want to do there they used to go five wide then they would go uh just running out a single back for some reason they never have that tight end slip play that beats everybody but Ben does operate better with that um, with that little bit of distance there, and it looked like it knocked some of the Saran wrap off. So some more pass plays from that 10-yard line. I don't like the five-yard run that gets you to the five. That always makes me feel crappy. Like, oh, here we go with two incompletions coming up. But pretty good game from Haley. Uh, the third and short arsenal that he has been developing is pretty sweet, whether it's been the shovel passes over the last couple weeks or that creative reverse to Eli. I liked that play because – you had Juju on the other side and all the usual reverse candidates on the other side. Credit to Eli for lowering his tiny little shoulders down and getting that first down. But uh, I thought that Haley called a pretty decent game. The execution was just very poor. So we got to give him a grade of B+. Plus. Plus. Again, I'll point out that we don't spend any, any time on special teams. But since we're talking about these miscommunications, and I'm not sure this is what this was, but the three, time, the three punts with two penalties was troubling just penalty after penalty and once again you get a kick blocked pretty pretty big deal and they even have one decent return in there so danny smith he's got to shape that thing up also chris chris missed the field goal but he's got ice water running through his veins so he sealed the deal when when it really counted he got it out of the way we're not grading them so move on to the defense and uh Admittedly, I had to work all day today, so I didn't get a lot of time to look at video as I should have. I watched the first the first half, and I got to say, Frank Gore's statistics are so unimpressive, but if you watch the tape, 
the guy just finds these lanes, at least in the first half, he was prolific. He uh, he had a great search from his offensive line who opened up some lanes for him and he took advantage of it. So I was uh, actually disturbed by our, our defensive performance, obviously, in the first half. Yeah. Well, they only got into Steelers territory like a total of maybe like eight plays or something ridiculous. So we did better than it seemed. Giving up those big long plays was not ideal yeah. uh, because they used to be big long run plays earlier in the season now they're big long pass plays it just all plays into that lackadaisical feeling right that post by thing so there were some good things and there were some bad things but overall they held the dudes to 17 points which is a pretty reoccurring theme here so if we can get this offense going we'll be in good shape do we want to give Keith Butler a grade first or what do we want to do with him I'm sorry I passed right over Keith um, Keith. We didn't give him a grade. Let's make one up right here. I think a B, him, 17 points, it's B. Yeah, I'll give him a, probably a B plus even. I thought that the strategy was, was decent. I think that Frank had a had maybe one cutback run, which can be a result of over-pursuit on our over-pursuing linebackers or you know uh, some weird stunts that they did. But overall, I thought that once again, the pressure got better as the game went on, and the Steelers were able to pile up sacks in the fourth quarter, which is a great sign for the Steelers improving. We talked about the theme earlier this year being the Steelers' defense crumbles in the fourth quarter. Well, in the past few weeks, they've actually risen to the occasion. That's when they're getting their sacks, and, and a lot of those sacks are on some crazy-looking stunts where people are going all over the place. So i got to give Keith a grade of B+. Plus. B+. Plus. Ipso facto, uh, I think we ought to do the same for the defense. As you pointed out, they sort of on the ascent as the game went on, the defense became stouter. And you pointed out, I mean, the the, the two plays in the secondary, those two 60-yard touchdown passes really were, were the, the biggest problem we had all game. Um, so we're going to give the defense a B plus. Which moves I think us that's to- pretty kind, too, but because those plays were those plays were so bad. Those weren't guys making like beating their man and making an amazing catch. Those guys were uncovered, and then we have people falling into each other trying to tackle them. Those were horrible. So B-plus is even generous of us, but you did hold them to 17 points. But they are the Indianapolis Colts, so most people hold them to 17 points. You want to move on to the defensive line? Yeah, I spent a lot of time. I actually thought that the Colts did a really good job of protecting Brissett. But I also then noticed they had about nine guys on the line most of the time. They had their jumbo tight ends in a lot of the time. And Hayward was his usual wrecking ball self, just slams against the uh, guard and just pushes him back all the time. But Brissett was, he's like a slippery eel. The guy, he has a quick, he has a quick release. He got rid of the ball, uh, even with that pressure coming up the middle. He's slipperier than I even realized, and he's a lot better quarterback than people realize. If they give him some weapons, he could do some things. Obviously, we don't know what's up with Andrew Luck, but Hayward, he tackled a man with one hand. He grabbed him by the jersey and threw him down. Definitely a great heated competition between him and Shazier for defensive MVP this year for the Steelers. Most people will talk about Shazier with the splash plays, but Hayward's been playing pretty awesome. I'd say I'd probably give the the defensive line a grade as well, a B plus. B plus. 
Moving on to the inside linebackers, Shazier and um, Vince Williams. I think this there's a little dichotomy here. I watched a lot of missed tackles by Shazier. It's sort of his classic. He, he's yep. He incisions himself. He ins- makes an incision. Sizes. He incises the def- the offensive line and just misses on the tackle. But Vince Williams. Unbelievable. The guy just is, is just getting such a nose for the ball. And as you pointed out, open field tackling, so solid. And uh he does he seems to be doing it all. Yeah, he's doing a better job, but they gotta they gotta hold it down a little bit more with some of those cutbacks and and make the tackles when they get to the guy. Just bring the man down. Just stop sliding all around him. We know Brissett's an eel, but not every running back you face is a slippery eel, man. Tackle the guy. We're gonna give them a grade of B minus. B minus. Which just takes us to the outside linebackers. I spent oh. a little time watching TJ and but more time watching Bud because he, he TJ, all right, he's a rookie. He had a great uh, initial surge. He's fading a little bit as the season goes on and it wears yep. on him. But Bud, he of the long arms needs another two <laughs> inches because he's always right there. He actually had a pretty good game. He had one sack, uh, two tackle for losses. And he's getting back there, but he does seem to be get handled by the uh, right tackle a lot of the times. He can't tackle. That's my big problem with Bud. He is clearly faster and stronger than almost everyone he's playing against. You can see the athleticism, but the dude cannot tackle. He missed like another two sacks. Even his sack was off of, once again, he, he gets in there first. He misses the quarterback, no matter who it is, and then his buddies come and clean him up, and then he comes back and actually makes the tackle after the fact on these little hustle sacks. But I, I do think he was a little bit more disruptive. You just need to see these defensive, uh, these you know, these outside linebackers finally, you know, winning some some big plays. And I, I did think that he did that in the fourth quarter, but it was nothing to write home about. We're going to give them a grade of. B. I forgot to mention when we were talking about the defensive line, and I need we need to give a little bit of credit to uh, obviously Stefan Tuit, who had a Welcome sack back. and four quarter four quarterback hits and three tackles for losses. So he he's showing up in a big way since he's yeah he back. looks like he's he's healthy. He looks like he's really rounding back into form. Let's move on to the cornerbacks. Let's do that. So we went the entire podcast without mentioning this. I actually meant to to say something about this as like a sub theme of the game, but the Steelers got uh, they they sustained an injury and a pretty unfortunate one with Joe Hayden having some sort of fracture to his upper fibula. It looks like they might be lucking out. Initially, it looked like the guy was going to be out for eight weeks or something, but now they're talking about anywhere from three to five weeks. So hopefully we can get him back in there. And, and when he gets back in, he plays well. Kind of a freak play. You couldn't really see anything happen, but he got hurt. That sucked. Obviously, already giving up that 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 deep ball. And I can't remember. Was it Sensiball? I believe it was Sensiball or, or, the, or the bullet who gave up the other deep play. But these corners, man, you can't just give teams freebies like that. I, I do not think that they had a great game. Already had one or two nice tackles on the outside. But we still need to see more for these from these guys. They actually played some decent receivers, and they kind of got carved up a, a little bit by them. Although Sensiball did a nice job with the breakup, and, and they 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 played all right. So 
I think I'm going to be – this this grade is kind of hard for me because I want to give him a C-. minus, But those deep balls weren't even – they were just terrible. That was the scoring. That was the scoring. So we got to give them a D+. Plus. D+. Plus. Can I point out, so, so this, uh, this comment or this observation really bridges the cornerbacks and the safety. And the Twins did an amazing job. The Silver Bullet and Sean Davis. As I watched the uh, defensive plays, those guys are like the two kids on your block who are like three years younger than everybody. The two younger brothers were just really annoying because they were in the backfield. Like they just wander into people's houses and they're there. They're just constantly there and annoying. When they're allowed, when they're unleashed, they're like gnats. Unstoppable, unslappable gnats. So that Sean combination Davis is, is so emerging effective. as a gnat. It really is. It's, it's interesting that the best characteristic that the Steelers defensive backs have are that two of them are really good blitzers. And Sean Davis is starting to look like Sean Davis of late last year, where it's like, man, he's making a lot of plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. That's encouraging. Obviously, the silver bullet has kept it going. And uh, Mike Mitchell, again, another injury, unfortunately. He was playing hurt, and it looks like he got he, he got a little bit more hurt or hurt the same thing again. And I don't have a ton to say about, about those guys for the day, but I think that overall they were, they were solid. And I don't think that those the, – the long pass that already led up, I think it was too far over for Mike to make a play. He was just one high. What do you expect the guy to do? The other one, Mike did crash into one of his teammates, so we have to we have to dock him for that. But some of those plays by Sean Davis were encouraging. We're gonna give them a grade of B minus. B minus. So there you have it. Grades weren't pretty. Nothing, nothing to be proud of. The style points were there, but um, the Steelers did admirably pull the game out of the jaws of defeat in the second half and uh, made a very more than respectable performance on defense. First place. Let's hope we get that this is us a game out of the system because next week we meet the Tennessee Titans. And if by next week, next we week, mean in a couple sorry, days. In a couple days, which yep. is totally going to screw up our schedule, our sleeping schedule and our work schedule. Unfortunately, I have to call off oh, that man. day. Well, you know, we have to do what needs to be done. We have to prioritize and – the rest of all of our schedules will be thrown off for the rest of the year, but especially if you're us and you're trying to do a podcast because sleep will be at a premium. Actually, it won't be. We'll just accept that it's not going to happen anymore for the rest of the year. All of the games except for one are at night. So here we go. So we're going to be at Los Steelers in primetime. I want to thank you for joining the Steelers Outpost podcast, episode number 10. If you have any comments, suggestions, compliments please drop us a line at steelersoutpost at gmail.com visit the website www.steelersoutpost.com for us Be happy steelers fans it's pretty you get your first place in the afc took a little regression this week let's chalk that up to the bye i think there's a lot of things the steelers have improved on you got to see a vintage big ben comeback and uh, it's gonna be a little bit weird this week as well because thursday night games always are but Hopefully the Steelers get that mojo going and can uh, keep in the, keep up in that race for first place. So join us next week because we have the advantage of an extra few days. We'll get a, we'll get a chance to look at the All Twenty Two, the cameras film. Although I think everybody's going to get a shot at that on Thursday, aren't they? Right, right, right. Yeah, they're doing the sky cam. So we'll enjoy that cool. anyway. 
Please join us next week. And until then, thanks for listening. Okay, bye-bye. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.